Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. You can be seated here across the campus's 12 Stone home. So glad that you're with us today. Here's the deal. I got a question. Do you remember getting your first credit card? I'm going to cover those numbers. What's going on? Uh, if you're watching online, don't be that guy. Um, do you remember getting your first credit card? I was walking through my student union in college, and they had a tent set up, giving away free water bottles and T-shirts, and all you had to do is fill out this little form. And I filled it out, and they handed me one of these in the mail a couple weeks later, and I was like, this is cool. I'll use it for emergencies. So first of all, I'll use it to get gas, and I'll swipe that, and that was okay. And then when I was in college, I loved Taco Bell. Anyone like ta- like guilty pleasure? Anybody? It'll, it'll ruin your afternoon, but it's a, it's a beautiful pleasure. And so I discovered quickly that like all I had to do is take this little card, whoop, and they gave me the Taco Bell, even though I didn't have the money to pay for it. So I swiped, and I'm like, guys, let's go to Taco Bell. They're like, we're broke. I'm like, listen, you can't hide money. Let's go. I'll pay for it. Let's do it. So I'm paying for my friends to talk about that at the end of the month, what happens? The bill comes in and I'm like, how much money? I would be embarrassed for you to know the hundreds of dollars I spent in talk, on Taco Bell in one month. And I woke up and realized I got to be done. I went back from my credit card back to the debit card. And I went back to like, that'll come out of my, my bank account. But, but that was my first introduction to debt. If you've ever owed somebody money, you realize the weight when you owe somebody, don't you? Like right now, uh, my wife and I moved a couple months ago and we canceled our gym membership and we moved to don't live near it anymore, or so we thought, and we got the letter in the mail from a debt collection agency. What? Like we don't, that's not who we are. And we called and like, listen, we, we canceled. And they said, no, there's like a 13 step process to canceling the gym and you didn't do it right. And so you owe us hundreds of dollars. Amber's in there fighting it like a prize fighter, but they're calling our phone two times a day, every day, letters in the mail. I know the weight. And if you've ever been in debt, you know, the weight of people chasing you down because you owe something. It robs your sleep. It robs your peace. It's exhausting. Debt is a scary. Let me do it this way. I want to play this out for you with a fictitious sort of family. I want to introduce you to a guy named Billy. This is not a real family, but just go with it. A guy named Billy. And Billy got first credit card. Put gas on it, some Taco Bell on it. Maybe, maybe your vibe is more like a McDonald's setup, right? You start at young age. Like, let me swipe the card for, for McDonald's and life is good. And then Billy's got to get his, his first car. And so he makes a purchase of his first car, probably not a Corvette for his first car, but now, now he's got, I got a car payment, which, okay, we're, we're figuring this thing out. But then Billy meets a little girl named Susie and McDonald's isn't good enough anymore. Now it's Olive Garden. You got to upgrade a little bit, step up your game, get them free breadsticks. Come on now. He's treating her right. Dates, life is good. And he starts to fall in love. And he says, listen, I got to go, I got to get a, a, a ring. Look at the size of that guy. That's cubic zirconium, baby. I got to get it. I got to get a ring, but he's not good enough to get a CZ. I got to get a real diamond. So now he has payments on his, on his engagement ring. And then he's got to figure out, I got I to gotta pay for a wedding now. 
and I got to pay for a honeymoon, and he's swiping that card, and he's got these debts playing out, and then it's, at this point, he's got to provide, and so what he's got to do now is he's got to buy a house, and so he gets his little, little three-bedroom ranch on a slab starter home, and this is like the dream of all dreams, and one thing leads to another thing, and they got a little baby on the way now. And life is just, it's good, but the problem is the hospital goes, hey, by the way, giving birth is not free. Here's some medical debt, so you got to pay that off. And he's starting to feel the weight of a mortgage and a car payment and paying off the ring and all the dates they've been on, and, and life starts happening again, and one thing leads to another. They got their, their second kid on the way, and yes, they feel like they're bigger than your house at this point. Life is hard when you get these kids coming along, and, and he's got to figure this thing out because hey, you got birthdays, and you got Christmas when you got kids, and so swipe that credit card. Let's get them gifts under the tree. Let's look good. And the problem is now you're still feeling the love, and you got a third kid, and now this, this sports car that was your dream, that's gone. It's time, it's time for a minivan. But your wife said, if you ever put me in a minivan, I'm leaving you. And so you got to get an SUV instead. I ain't too proud. I got a minivan at home. It happened. So you got, you got your SUV and now that car payment's bigger. And now that third kid came, you need another bedroom. This house isn't big enough anymore. And now I got to get that four bedroom thing going on here. And now you got that going. And then your kid's you have a baby, what do you have to do? You got a formula. I don't want to hear, should you feed him enough for formula? Shut up. There's formula. You got to pay for gas because you're driving them everywhere. You've got diapers out the ying and you got to pay for those. And then they join sports. If your kids are in travel ball, how are you not in debt? It's the most expensive thing I've ever heard in my life. And then they, the second kid wants to play soccer. And then here comes Christmas again. you got to pay for that gift. And then your wife, Susie, says, listen, I want to make some money for the family. I want to get into one of those multi-level sales things. And it's a $1,000 buy-in, but I'll make a fortune. 45 days later, he's like, hey, honey, how's that sales thing going? It's not my thing. Well, $1,000 on the credit card. Then he's like, listen, I, I want to I wanna get in shape for the family. I'm going to invest in a $2,000 home gym. It's a great investment for the family. Swipe that credit card. 45 days later, she's like, hey, Billy, how's that gym thing going? It's not really my thing. <laughs> and then your kids get older. You've got to pay for college. Where do we fit all this in here? You've got to write those checks to some university. And they're just reading the cliff notes anyway, if you're old like me. And you wake up one day. And you see how fast debt piles up, don't you? How quickly you can be wake up at 40, 45 years old and realize I'm still paying off McDonald's and Taco Bell. And I'm sitting here with all the here. Here's the point. Debt piles up fast, doesn't it? And you're thinking, is this like a financial conversation, like a Dave Ramsey talk? It's actually not. We're talking about a different kind of debt today. In fact, we're, we're actually in a series right now. and We're going to come back to this thought. We're in a series right now. Where we're talking about relationships, actually. What we're talking about is the fact that we're living in relationships, and relationships are complicated. Can I get an amen? If you're sitting next to your spouse, whisper that. Relationships are complicated. Can I get an amen? amen. They're smart husbands. I heard more women's voices. Smart. See, in this series, we're sitting in this, this scripture of Colossians 3, and that scripture reads like this. I want, I want you to sort of get the framework biblically for what we're talking about. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Bear with each other. Bear with each other. 
And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Inside this passage are the two sort of foundational principles for this series about how we engage with each other over these holiday seasons. And really, for all of our relationships, it's this. You, once you bow to God, you bear with each other. Like once, once you bow and you're right, made right with God through the person of Jesus, our responsibility is now to bear with each other. And that sounds great until you actually have to interact with people. Like, that's a beautiful thing in church, isn't it? Amen, pastor. Bear with each other. And as soon as you leave, you see people, and it gets hard. How do you bear with somebody that you fundamentally disagree with? How do you, how do you bear with somebody who has a challenging personality, to say it kindly? How, how, do you, how do you bear with somebody who has different values or opinions about just about everything? How do you bear with somebody that's hurt you or offended you? See, that's where we're sitting today. The topic for today is offense. And that's a buzzword in culture right now, isn't it? I'm offended. That's a word we hear all the time. Tell me that's not a thing. How do you bear with somebody that, that's hurt you, that's sinned against you, that's cut you deep? See, the reality is, if you've lived longer than 10 years, you've got offenses committed against you, don't you? Like people have hurt you. People have let you down. You don't, you don't have to live a hundred years to finally realize, oh, people let me down. That happens. But here's the problem. Here's what we tend to do is as people hurt us, we keep this little mental, emotional ledger. And many of us walk around like a, like an offense loan shark. And what you're doing, they only know you're doing it. Someone steps on your toes and you go, one second. All right, Billy at the office, he owes me $1 because he said that was mean and took my food out of the fridge. All right, that's the first one. And then you get home and, and your wife's like, does this dress look good? And you're like, yeah. And she senses it. You didn't say yes. You said, yeah, yeah. That's a $5 offense. Let's go ahead and write that down. You start to make that. And you walk around your life with a ledger, keeping score of all the offenses people have committed against you. And, and what you do is, is every time that you bump into them mentally, I get, you don't have one of these in your pocket. If you do, you'd see a counselor. That's really dark. But you would do it in our head, right? You, you keep track emotionally, mentally of, of the things. And when you start to bump into people, you see somebody, you no longer even see the person. You see the list of things they've done to you. That coach in middle school that said you're slow, it still plays in your head. That's still somewhere back in that ledger. That boss who, who gave you that performance review and it didn't go well and it's just playing in the back of your head or something your spouse said to you that just haunts you. Some of us still got mommy daddy stuff from 20, 30 years ago that in a moment of anger they said something that implanted something in you and it hurt you and you've got this offense that you've just kept score of and, and you've got $10 offenses and $20 offenses and you just have this whole ledger full of all the list of things that people owe you. It's a scary way to live. See, we're keeping track of all the debts of all the offenses committed against us. And we start to make that list and play that list out. And you might find yourself this week around the Thanksgiving table with people that are on your list. That crazy uncle who says super inappropriate stuff. That you're like, how do you have a job? It's offensive when you say that. 
You might be sitting around the table with a parent that you still have unforgiveness with because of something that happened in childhood. I'm not trying to minimize this, but you might be around the table this week and maybe God wants to rescue us before we get there. See, because God in Colossians 3, he doesn't give us an out. He doesn't say bear with each other unless they hurt you. He doesn't say bear with each other unless they're a jerk. He says bear with one another. In fact, he actually assumes that there's going to be offense. Here's what it says in verse 13. If any one of you has a grievance against one another, saying, listen, I get it. You're going to hurt each other. Like he's assuming that. He didn't say just enjoy time with each other. Bear with one another because he knows we're going to hurt each other. Here's, Here's the reality. Offense is a certainty. Offended is a decision. Your offenses are going to be committed against you. Guaranteed. You're going to get cut off in traffic on the way to lunch today. Going to happen. But choosing to live offended is a decision. And maybe today God's inviting us to make some different decisions. Have you noticed in our culture people get offended more easily these days? I've noticed it. I've noticed it myself. When when I'm on social media and, and people have their expert opinions about everything. I'm like, dude, I want to, man, I take it personal. I want to get, get my ledger out. I got a post. I'm going to tag them in later. I saw this doctor and he said the opposite. I'm going to post that. Don't pretend we got our lists and we play them out. But here's the statement that Paul says at the end of that passage. He simply says this, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's a simple statement, but it carries huge weight. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What does that mean? Quite possibly, Paul made that statement based on a parable that Jesus delivered in Matthew 18. So if you're following along, we're going to sit inside of Matthew 18 as the core text for our teaching today. And maybe Paul actually pulled that thought from this parable that Jesus told. You see, the disciples, stuff was going on between them, and they simply said, all right, Jesus, here's the question. How many times do we have to forgive? That's an interesting question to ask Jesus. Like, at what point can I just be done with this forgiveness junk? Like, Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet, so they can't understand the way to what he's talking about. Like, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? He's like, all right, let me tell you a story. So here's the parable that Jesus told inside of Matthew 18. Let's read this together. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. Pause. When you see Jesus say the kingdom of heaven, take notice. Because he's making a distinct separation from the kingdom of earth. Like, listen, there's a bunch of rules and ways of living down here in the kingdom of earth. I'm drawing you higher thinking up into the kingdom of heaven. Here's how the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's the story. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I'll explain that in a minute. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. What's happening here? See, back in those days, if you accumulated debt, let's say a pile of debt like this, if you accumulated debt, at some point your debtor would say, listen, I need payment. And if you couldn't pay it, they would sell you 
put you in debtor's prison, put your kids into labor, and they would have to work off your debt. The amount of money he was owed. This is mind-boggling to think about. 10,000 talents. Listen, one talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years worth of labor. Like if you worked for 20 years, you would have made about one talent. He owed 10, like 10,000 talents. That's 200,000 years wages, close to a billion dollars in today's money. In other words, he had no ability to ever pay it back. There was no way he was ever going to be able to actually pay back the debt that he accrued. His family was going to be paying this off for generation after generation after generation. And so when that king said, you know what, I'm going to take pity on you and forgive you, this was generationally changing things for his family. Like everything changed. He went from this table full of debt that he could never climb out of. In a moment, he found forgiveness from the king. He said, you're off the hook. So what does he do? Like, think about how good that would feel. Imagine if someone right now said, listen, I'm going to pay off your home, any car debt you have, student loan debt, medical debt, credit card debt. I'm going to get you back to square. What would you do? I would run around like crazy. If someone wanted to do it to me right now, I'll, you, you get to choose what I do. I'll run around the room screaming. I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you pay off my house, everything I owe, that's a game changer. What, what, do you, what would you do? Let's see what this guy does. Jesus continues the parable. And it goes dark fast. But when that same servant, the guy who just got forgiven a billion dollars, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. What's a denarii? A denarii was about one day's wages. This guy owed about 100 days wages to him. Call it $8,000 in our current day money. This guy was just forgiven a billion dollars of debt. And the second his debt was clear, what did he do? He ran back over to his personal ledger and went, I'm freed up. Let's go. Who owes me? All right, this guy owes me eight grand. What you going to do? You want mercy? Not from me. Pay it up. No, you can't pay it up? All right, you're going to jail. Next. Did you, did you see what Jesus, the picture Jesus is painting here? It's a terrifying thought that you can immediately walk out from having all your debt removed, all your debt forgiven, and then immediately hold someone else in your ledger accountable. And yet we struggle with this, don't we? See, in this parable, you are not the king and you are not the guy who owes $8,000. You're the wicked servant who owes a billion dollars. And yet we struggle to deal with each other and offer forgiveness, don't we? It's hard to offer forgiveness. See, it's interesting that no matter how much someone has committed offense against you, you have committed way more against God. See, in that story, God is the king. And God's looking for you to pay off your debts. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've bowed your life to Jesus, you have been forgiven a billion times a billion times a billion and then God just simply says, forgive as I forgave you. See, in Colossians 3, that's, that's what he's talking about. Just, just do likewise. I forgave you way more than you'll ever have to forgive somebody else. See, so just so we can get all on the same page, let me just walk you through what this looks like theologically. 
It's, it's interesting that even in the, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uses this sort of debt and monetary term to connect to our sin and forgiveness. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's connecting those thoughts, even in the Lord's Prayer. See, in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means all. Is anybody in this room or across the campuses or in Tulsa, anyone perfect? That's right, you'd be struck down with lightning. You're not perfect. You've messed up. You have sinned. Welcome to the club. So have I. For all have fallen short in sin. And 623, Romans 623, the wages of sin is death. The payment for your debt is death. The payment will come due on all the sin debt that you have committed in your life. And the payment for all this debt, you can't pay it off. It's death. It's bad news. And in Romans 5, 8 says, but listen, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while you were already in debt and still racking up more debt every day, Christ died for you. Before, before you could pay it off and get square again and go, okay, now Jesus, I'm worthy of you dying for. No, while you were a sinner, he died for you. How, how do we get that? It's Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the roadmap of how your debt was forgiven. And your debt wasn't a $20 bill. It was a billion dollars. And listen, maybe you're here today and you don't know where you stand with Jesus. By the end of the day, we're going to give you an opportunity to offer a prayer that says, God, I, I recognize my sin and I, I need to bow to Jesus and we're going to get there by the end. But listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, your debt was so large, you could have never paid it back yourself. But glory to God, he paid it back for you. If you, if you could understand the size pile of debt that your sin was before God, it would mark and change how you deal with each other. Jesus isn't done in this parable. This is one of the most haunting conclusions to a parable in all of scripture. Here's how Jesus ends. So the guy was forgiven a billion, went and threw the guy in prison for 8,000, and then Jesus finishes the story. Here's what he says. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Jesus is now concluding. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's haunting. In other words, Jesus is saying, whatever bar you hold others to, I'm going to hold you to. However you choose to forgive or not forgive people around you, that's the bar I'm going to hold you to. That's why a life living offended is so dangerous, because you are positioning yourself to face a God that is going to hold all the offenses you committed against him against you, because you've held all the offenses committed against you against them. It's a cascade of terror. Where you wake up and go, God, you're going to use the same yardstick I used on them against me. If he did for you, how would you hold up? See, offense is not just like a cheeky, like, come on, get over it. This is massive. 
See, forgiveness is simultaneously the most beautiful and challenging part of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is that you were forgiven so much, but the challenge is you've got to forgive people around you as well. And it's really complicated. This week might be really complicated for you because there are people around that table that have hurt you. See, why is it so easy that, that once we've been made right with God and we struggle to live with each other because this is personal. See, the debt that you, you committed against God might be massive, and the debt that others committed against you might be small, but this debt represents stuff to you. Like, it's, it's real. I'm not trying to downplay this. Don't hear me say, get over it. Listen, you might have been truly hurt. Maybe somebody abused one of your kids. You're going, forgive that? Maybe your spouse of years or decades that you put your trust in living a double life. Maybe you've been deeply, deeply hurt. And you're like, yeah, that's not a dollar debt. That's a hundred dollar offense against me. And maybe you sit here and go, I don't, I don't understand how I'm supposed to forgive this. I'm not trying to minimize the hurt and offenses that people have committed against you. I'm just trying to right size how much God's forgiven you from. See, it's hard because offense is personal. It's against me. I had a friend who's a pastor that had to do a funeral, 17-year-old girl, just got her driver's license, her whole life's ahead of her, looking up forward to college. Some 20-year-old guy gets drunk at a party, drives home, collision. He survives, she dies. You're supposed to forgive that? Listen, I, I, I'm not trying to minimize the hurt to right-size how much we've all been forgiven from. The beauty of the gospel is that you've been forgiven. The complexity of the gospel is now, in turn, we have to forgive. And whatever the level of offense you have, whenever you're hurt, there tends to be a thought in your head that I'm right and you're wrong. And therefore, I'm justified to be living an offended life because you hurt me. And that will justify you keeping that ledger and just making the emotional, mental notes about everyone who offended you. And listen, you're going to wake up and realize an offended life is an empty life. See, what you do is you go over here and go, you lied to me. You've lied too. Well, you, you cheated me out of some money. You've never cheated before. Go back to 10th grade geometry. You cheated on that. You know cheating. <laughs> Listen, you, you hurt me. You've never hurt anybody. You, you stole from me. You never stole before. Oh, you, the words you said were cutting. You never said a cutting word. So there's no one among us that's innocent. And as followers of Jesus, we should be the hardest people to offend on the planet. Because our offense is so massive before almighty God. There ain't nothing you can do to me that's going to truly offend me because I know in light of who God is, I am a wretch. My sin is so big. And an offended life, here's what it does. It causes you to mix up the tables. Here's what it does. You start to look at people and think that's how much they have committed offense and hurt you. And that's how much you've offended God and sinned and fallen short and hurt others. And you start to live in this life thinking, what you did to me is that table. And what I've done is that little table over there. 
and you mix things up and you start to tell yourself a story, you start to believe, I have a right to be offended because that's how much you hurt me and that's how much I've done wrong. And the parable that Jesus tells is a parable that's supposed to go, listen, that's the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of heaven recognizes that that is your offense. And God's not asking you to forgive that size offense. Only he can do that. He's asking us to forgive the 10 and 20 and $50 offenses, not the billion dollar offenses. See, the complexity of the gospel is that, yeah, you're forgiven, but you now have to forgive. And maybe God brought you here for one of two reasons. Maybe God brought you here to lay down the ledger. And maybe God brought you here to pick up his forgiveness. I don't know which one is which, but we're going to sit in this for just a second. Grab my ledger. You might not say it this way, but you have a list in your head. There are people who hurt you who lied to you, people who stabbed you in the back, people that let you down, people close to you that you thought they would never, and they did. And you're about to go into a holiday season that's supposed to be full of joy, happiness, peace, all the Hobby Lobby posters, all whatever words they have in there. You want all that, don't you? Deep down in here, you got stuff. It's hurt, broken. Instead of dealing with it, it's easier to just live offended. Because let me, let me, don't hear me wrong. I just want to say it right. In our culture, we elevate offended people. And some of us, we've wrapped our identity around being offended because it gives us power. You get hurt by people, you go, I'm not going to get hurt anymore. So instead of humbling and forgiving, I grab a fence, become an offended person, and now I get to hang that over their head. You hurt me, I am above you now. And our culture just feeds this. Whoever's the most offended, the biggest offenses committed against them has the most power and they have support, superiority, and that's how I stay in control. And some of you, your family dynamic is a, is a offense dynamic that whoever was offended last is in control and the husband has to walk around like, I'm so sorry I did that to you and you owe him and owe him and owe him or the wife has to walk around, I'm so sorry, I owe you, I owe you, I owe you because we're keeping our ledgers of offense. And listen, true intimacy and relationship cannot occur we live offended. When there's a power dynamic and a struggle back and forth in relationships that the last person that created the offense is the one in control, that is not the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of earth. See, it's said that living an unforgiving life is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets hurt. And maybe God brought you here simply because he wants to free you up from unforgiveness and offense. Listen, you don't forgive because that person is right. You forgive because it gets you right. You don't forgive because they're worthy of your forgiveness. You forgive because God made you worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he poured his blood out and wiped the dead off your table. All he says in return is, listen, Forgive the people who offended you far less than what you offended me. 
Put down the ledger. See, God doesn't say forgive because I said so. He said forgive because I forgave you first. And maybe the Spirit of God right now would put names in your heart, names in your head, people that you know. Man, when I see that person, I see the list of offenses they've committed against me. And it could be small junk, inner office junk. It could be massive. I get it. But maybe God wants to free you up. And today, my prayer this week has been that God would, if you're a follower of Jesus, God would give you a fresh awareness of how great your debt was before God. Holy Spirit, right now I'm asking that you would, for those of us who follow Jesus, give us a fresh awareness of the pile of debt we had before you. And that that awareness would bring a, a, a humility and gratitude that, oh God, thank you, that when you, when, when Jesus died on the cross and I asked for forgiveness, you forgave all of it. You don't go, half the table's gone, I'm just going to hang this over your head for a while. David said, oh Lord, if you kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? The answer is none of us. What Jesus did on the cross is this. I asked, Holy Spirit, would you give us a fresh awareness of just how much you forgave us from? That that would bring a humility and a tenderness to us. That as we interact with other people, that you would free us up, God, to, to forgive the $5 and $10 and $50 and even the $100 hurts that were done against you. Maybe this week before Thanksgiving dinner, there's some phone calls maybe you need to make. Say, dude, I, I want to get this clean. I want to keep short accounts. And I got, I got long accounts against you, and I got to apologize first for doing it. And I want to get this account cleaned up. Doesn't mean you have to like the person. Doesn't mean you have to like spending time with them. It just means that if you're going to bear with them, you have to forgive as the Lord forgave you. My prayer is that this week, as you wrestle that down, that God would give you freedom. See, keeping a ledger doesn't make you strong, it makes you bitter. Forgiveness doesn't make you weak, it sets you free. Maybe God wants to set you free from unforgiveness and offense. Maybe he wants to set you free from the offensive, offended identity you've been living in. And God, if he would do that, he'd change your marriage, he'd change your friendships, he'd change your family, he'd change your inner office relationships, he would change all of it. But this is not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps talk. This is not a, hey, do better, work harder. This is a, when you recognize the size you were forgiven from, it frees you up to forgive the small things. Church, if God holds us to the same bar we hold others to, that's a scary thought, isn't it? holidays 2021 let's get it right let's be known as a forgiving people oh the beauty of the gospel in this culture would stand out if we became a forgiving people an unoffendable people oh you can't offend me because i know how much i've offended god it ain't nothing compared to what i've done there's a second group that needs to pick up god's forgiveness so let me talk to people who are spiritually unresolved and I hope there's many among us across the campuses, 12 stone home, watching online. And maybe you've never bowed to Jesus. Maybe you've never experienced his forgiveness. So I talk about the debt being cleared. You're like, I don't, I don't get all that yet. In fact, maybe you look at God and you've got a table that you think is his offenses towards you. 
and you think, God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen? Maybe you've been offended by people that claim the name of Jesus and you go, I don't want any part of that. Listen, just because they claim the name of Jesus doesn't mean they always represent him well. Maybe you felt like God has piled debt on your table and weight and pressure and stress on your table. And today, for the first time, the Holy Spirit has awakened you to the idea that the beauty of the gospel is not that God puts more on you and says, you better do better. It's that he wipes away all your debt. What Jesus did on the cross is the payment for your debt is payable with your life. Death, you're done. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, this is not just something we celebrate at Easter and the cross's necklace. It's not like some religious symbol. This is the source of everything for us. That he cleared your debt. He took the penalty for your debt and forgave you. But you have to bow to him. And maybe for the first time you realize the gospel is a freeing thing. It can free you from debt and shame. And all your sin and the penalty of sin and being separated from God for all of eternity. And maybe God brought you here today for the first time for you to understand that you might have looked at God and thought, that's the size I owe God. I'll pay that back through good works. I'll pay that back through going to church every once in a while. My grandma was a Christian. Surely my grandma was a super Christian. This is my debt. Grandma can pay back 10 when she gets there for me, right? And you realize that's not how it works. When you owe a billion, you ain't paying it back. Only Jesus can do that. And maybe you are here today because in God's kindness, he wanted you to be awakened to the truth of salvation through Jesus. And we already read the scripture. Here's how. In Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to get in a payment plan for your sin. Like, all right, now I realize it. Can I give you 20 a month and we'll see how far we pay back? No, it's forgiven in a moment, but you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again for your sins. In fact, here's a prayer that might be a roadmap. Let me just read it to you. There's nothing magic about these words, but this is sort of a roadmap for what you might be experiencing in this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned and owe you a huge debt. I have no ability to pay off my debt. But I trust Jesus, my Savior, to forgive me. Please forgive me, God. I give you my trust, my life, and my future. Help me to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. In a minute across the campuses, as the campus pastors are stepping up, we're going to read that prayer, all of us out loud together. But for some, this is the day that the Holy Spirit has awakened you to the gospel. And conviction is settling in right now. Not condemnation, that's what, the, that's what Satan does. You're not condemned, you're convicted. Let me tell you what that feels like. If you've been awakened to your debt before God, it feels like a weight like when the, the debt collectors call. And they go, I, I need my money. That weight you feel, that's conviction. And if you feel conviction, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself saying, listen, you should feel the weight of your debt. But I've already got the solution for it, and it's Jesus. I'll forgive it in a moment you'll bow your life to me. And if, as we're about to read that prayer, if this is the first time that you've been awakened to that, and you're saying, I bow my life to you, Jesus, and this is your moment of salvation, if you want to call it that, we're going to ask that you text Jesus to 37748. Let us pastor you and follow up with you in this. You're early in the journey. But here across the campuses, across 12 Stone Home, we're going to read this prayer out loud. For many of us, 
This is God reminding us of what he's already done in us some months, years, decades ago. For some, this is your moment. The week of Thanksgiving 2021 where you're bowing to Jesus, surrendering your life, receiving his forgiveness and salvation. So all across the campuses, across home, let's read this out loud together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned and owe you a huge debt. I have no ability to pay off my debt, but I trust Jesus, my Savior, to forgive me. Please forgive me, God. I give you my trust, my life, and my future. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And Sugarloaf, if you would allow me to talk to 12 Sun Home for just a minute, and then we'll talk to you. Maybe you're sitting in a living room or a tap room or a coffee shop or community center in your neighborhood, and you just offered that prayer, and that was significant moment for you because you just said, Jesus, I'm yours. Would you please let your 12-son home group leader know? Let someone else in the group know. Allow us to come alongside you in this. Our, our aim for 12-son home is not just to get a bunch of people across in the living rooms. It's that people would bring people into their living rooms that don't know Jesus and they would bow. And so you're an answer to prayer today if you said yes to Jesus. Tell them, text Jesus to 37748. Allow us to pastor you through this. I want to pray for you at 12-son home and then we'll pray here in the room. So Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you've done. Holy Spirit, we ask that the seeds that were planted today, would they take root in the hearts of men and women? Holy Spirit, would you grow them up in what it means to be a follower of Jesus? They're not on their own, not anymore. So would you grow them up, use the community around them to disciple them into becoming followers of you. And God, we give you gratitude for what you did on the cross. You forgave us of so much. Help us to forgive like you forgave us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.